2: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim The worst part of earnings season isn't when I have to cover a zillion major companies reporting at the same time. It's when I see all the people who sell when they should be buying. The goofuses, the quick jaws who never seem to miss a chance to shoot themselves in the foot. I'm talking about the initial reaction of Fed Chief Jay Powell's comments after the Fed raised interest rates by a quarter percent today. I was listening to everything. I do my job. And I saw that the market was plummeting. I mean, just <laughs> What he was talking, he was just getting crushed. And it was insane. It was an insanely stupid reaction because everything Powell said in his press conference was positive. And that's why the average track bounced back, with the Dow finishing up just seven points. The mighty Dow not so mighty today. s jumping 1, 0, 1.05%, but the go-go Nasdaq surging 2%. Now, but it's crazy that stocks ever sold off in the first place. Think about what Powell said if you got to listen to it. I'll just tell you. He said Fed rate hikes have been successful. They're good. They're getting disinflation going. Not slowing of inflation, but disinflation. But there's more work to do. No kidding. We're further along than we were last month. Sure, there's disinflation in goods. You sound downright happy about that. But there's still some things like services that haven't gone down enough. All common sense. And in the end, what happened today? Well, people realize the Fed's getting the work done, as Powell said he would. But he still wants to make sure inflation comes back to 2% before he'll ease up with the quarter points. He wants a soft landing. And he wants disinflation. And he's getting it. And those clowns came in and sold on all that good news? Stupidity, lunacy, I don't know. But let's go back to what I've been saying for a while now. We're in a bull market. It started last fall when long-term interest rates peaked along with the dollar peaking. Now many stocks have clearly bottomed, even tech. But like I keep telling you, whenever you see a sudden short-term move, one like we saw today, Unless there's a real good reason to explain the decline, then it is a buying opportunity. Because in a bull market, the bias is to go higher. But you get those short shop declines. And you've got to just say to yourself, let's go to work. Today the Fed gave you another chance to get in, Powell. gave us so much confidence in what we've seen with our own eyes. Some places aren't just stabilizing; they are actually decelerating. We got actual disinflation in some places. Things are going lower in some places. Powell used the term disinflation many times. I follow him close on these numbskulls and quick draws. These McGraws, whatever they're doing. These guys who were just selling that I now. out. It's clear to me that Powell thinks we're finally getting inflation rollbacks. He said that goods inflation is coming down very fast. We talk about that every night on the show. Still, there are some services where prices aren't being rolled back fast enough. Services related to higher wages. So Powell needs to see employment get weaker. Of course, he never says that point blank. No Fed is ever going to come out here and say, look, we need more firings, more layoffs, fewer jobs created, more people are thrown out of work. We need people to make less money. We need your portfolio to go down. We need everything to be like the enterprise software industry with these endless layoffs. No, no, no Fed chief is going to give these bears that, OK? It's, he's not going to convert you to a bull by saying that stuff because that's not his job. 40 years ago, we had a Fed chief who was more upfront about bringing the pain, and he needed Secret Service protection, thanks to all the death threats. Powell's too smart for that, and that's just not the way he thinks. Sure, it'd be easier to own stocks if he'd stop tightening immediately, but that's not his job. The Fed exists to strike a balance between price stability and employment. Powell's not concerned with how much money he can make for you. He's on a mission to prevent the value of your portfolio from being devoured by inflation over the long haul. He wants to make sure your hard-earned savings are going to be worth something in 2030 or 2040. So how come all these traders merely jumped to sell stocks in response to Powell's encouraging press conference? Simple. A huge percentage of traders, they are living in the past. Everybody's always fighting the last war. If it were still 2022, they'd be right to sell the market on pretty much anything. You know, sell the ribs. Remember those guys You said sell the rips? These guys spent all last year getting burned every time they tried to be bullish. So they don't want to repeat that mistake because they don't believe things have gotten better. They're still convinced that we are in a bear market. Others, others don't want to touch stocks until Powell gives us an all-clear, expl- all explicit saying, hey, we're good. So others say the system's wrong or rigged or Powell's wrong or whatever. All three of these camps were on display the moment the pal started talking today before he even finished a sentence. Did they wait until he mentioned deflation over and over again? No. They thought that they knew the result of what he was going to say. And they were in a bear market. In the end, the market's going to go lower. She might as well get up, get run in front of all the other people who are going to sell. The funny thing is that for most of last year, that was the right attitude. Before long rates peaked and the dollar peaked, selling stocks on any news was always the right call. But it's no longer the right call. It no longer makes sense once the Fed says the rate hikes are working and we're pretty far along in the tightening cycle, even as they are still seeing some wage inflation. I'm so focused on these bozos because their mistaken selling creates opportunities for you to buy the dips. You need to have conviction that the sellers are wrong, and you're right. You need to believe in your view, not the view that taped gives you, that the bears give you, that the people on TV tell you it's no good give you. You don't get these gains very often. They're very difficult to come by. The ones like we're having today. Of course, you can look at what's down and buy it, betting that the bull will soon graze their end of the market. might happen. All I'm concerned about and all I keep telling you and I tell the investment club members at the morning meeting and the home stretch in the afternoon is that there are so many good stocks and good sectors that you need to be in. For example, for almost a year, the semiconductors have been horrendous. But this morning, Lisa Su, the CEO of AMD, said that after a lot of pain caused by excess inventory, the glut is coming to an end. That triggered voracious buying both in AMD and also competitor NVIDIA. This is what happens at the end of a very long downturn. More on that later. Now you can get a bottom in PCs and get more demand in data centers. Business will get better. Like so many industries that did poorly when COVID ended, the semiconductors are turning. Earnings are troughing. Not peaking, as the bears claim. And that means higher, not lower stock prices, no matter what the talking heads say. They scare me, and I'm confident. Oh, and speaking of the hazards of being too negative, another stock we own for the child trust, Meta, you know, like old Facebook. It exploded higher tonight because it saw a reacceleration of core Facebook at the same time that it cut costs, laid off 11,000 employees, and plans to dramatically lower expenses for 2023. Gorham were fears that Meta was taking some huge gamble. Gorham was the idea that Zuckerberg was betting a farm on something that's like this with cartoon figures. Back with the users of core Facebook, which showed very good growth for the first time in ages. I feel very encouraged by Reels, too. Very good quarter. No, and the negatives, oh, the negatives missed it by a mile. Hell, by the way, they left 30 points on the table. Bottom line, you just need to know what kind of market you're in, a bull market, and know that those who keep fighting the bulls they did today think they're in a bear market, and they get trampled. Today was a real trample, and the bears, they still don't know what hits them. Oh, How
3: about
2: Zach? In Minnesota, Zach!
3: Hey, Mr. Kramer, I was doing yes.
1: some homework on Textron, and when looking at the charts, I believe I noticed a head and shoulders technical pattern that began back in November. Now, the price has gone up so much since the 20th of last month that I believe it broke the right shoulder of that pattern, which, if I'm not mistaken, should signal a new bullish
4: trend. Now, the company just beat earnings and gave a positive outlook for 23. So, are you seeing what I'm seeing, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, first of all, all, the run? stock
2: is very inexpensive. Second, you're absolutely right. I, the, there is, it did break the pattern, the negative pattern. I'll tell you what I like about Textron. It's got some, it's got some military, it's got some aviation. I mean, it is kind of a little bit of a pastiche, if not a mosaic of businesses, but they are related to the military. And I think the people who are against the defense stocks are dead wrong. And you. You, my friend, and it makes me remind me, Zach, five years ago when the Eagles won in Minnesota, you are sitting pretty on that one. Hey, speaking of the Eagles, let's go to Scott in Pennsylvania. Scott. Jim, booyah. Booyah. Longtime fan. Right Do the I point. detect to Philadelphia accent? I'm trying. What's going on? Interested in CVS health. Why is this stock struggling in the mid-80s? When
4: it really should be
2: going better. Okay, I have a theory. It's two it's two sides. One is is that it made so much money in COVID that's now lapping that and people think, oh, that's not so good. But second, labor. Labor's hard to find. Hey, by the way, I went to a Walgreens to say, get this, get this, you'll love this. I rang the buzzer, and someone came and opened it up. Wow! Alright, anyway, you just need to know what kind of market you're in. It's a bull market. And those that who keep fighting the bull, well, they get trampled. Teddy was a real trampler. Bears still don't know what hit them. Oh, I gotta do this again. <laughs> hey, I'll oh, make money tonight. Uh, what do we got? Oh, Thermo Fisher jumped higher today after earnings. Oh, I show the strength of that one. I'm getting the heart of the story with this CEO. Then going up, I'm seeing exactly what's making Otis do so well. And Brick International, yes, yeah, symbol E, you know, kind of like Maggiano. And, uh, and, you know, use some of your favorites over there in the Chili's. It uh, just had a great quarter. How did Wall Street digest it? <laughs> and I got to tell you something. I was right about the metaverse. It doesn't matter that much. Stay with Kramer.
5: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call
0: Visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Wall Street's finally getting over its post-COVID hangover. The one that crushed anything that made a fortune due to the pandemic. Take Thermo Fisher Scientific, that's that fabulous lab equipment company that we call the arms dealers of the pharma and life sciences industry. This stock had a huge run during the worst days of the pandemic because their diagnostics business racked up billions upon billions in COVID testing revenue. As It should, it was the best. Then last year, Thermo Fisher lapped those numbers, making for much tougher year-over-year comparisons, which is what Wall Street stuck thinking about. But since last November, though, the stock's come to life. Today, we got a reminder of why people keep buying it. This morning, Thermo Fisher reported just a beautiful quarter. Excellent. Huge revenue beat, much better than expected, organic growth, and a solid earnings beat. Even better, imagine it gave you a bullish full year forecast. That's why the stock rallied 3% today. Can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Mark Casper, the bankable chairman and CEO of Thermo Fisher. Get a better read on the quarter, what comes next. Mr. Casper, welcome back to Man Money.
1: Jim, thanks for having me. It's great to be back today.
2: Oh, it's great to have you, Mark. You know, so many people were worried, well, how will Thermo Fisher do now that, that COVID is waning? And I always remember that the best days of Thermo Fisher are just the, the consistency. And you should stop worrying about pre-pandemic posts. You delivered the same fabulous numbers you always do. Tell us how you're able to do it so consistently.
1: Well, really, the team has just done an incredible job, right? 2022 was another very successful year for the company, really for our customers where we did great work, for our shareholders in terms of value creation, and ultimately for setting up the company for an incredibly bright future. So uh, it's the team that ultimately makes it all happen.
2: I I, I think you're so right, you've got many different divisions, they all do come together. A lot of people always said, you can't own the stock of Thermo Fisher if there's not a lot of IPOs and therefore not a lot of biotech companies coming public. That was your strongest division for heaven's sake. Why people don't understand that you that biotechs and companies that do biosimilars, they can't do it without you.
1: Yeah, we built a really unique position to be able to go from taking a scientific idea for our clients in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry all the way through the process of bringing that medicine to market through the regulatory process, through the scale up of the production and, That unique value proposition has allowed us to grow our largest customer set, which is pharmaceutical and biotech, by mid-teens organic growth. Um, And it's really impressive what we've been able to do for our customers. And I'm excited for what the future holds in in supporting those customers.
2: I want people to understand exactly how what you're saying matters. Let's pick something like mRNA technology, which turned out to be the wonder of the pandemic something people hadn't heard for an hour, that really is done on the platform that is Thermo Fisher. Yeah,
1: so when you think about the environment we're in today, I really call it the golden age of biology. It's an incredibly exciting time for science. And mRNA is a great example of how you're very rapidly able to take a technology and bring out a vaccine and ultimately drugs that will benefit patients very quickly and cost-effectively. In the pandemic, our technologies were used, the nucleic acids to make the mRNA, our bioproduction business, which is the purification products, to refine the product. And ultimately, our pharmaceutical manufacturing plants were able to scale up and produce the the final product for the vaccines. And when I think about going forward, because it's not just about the pandemic, there's so much investment going on in mRNA and our enabling technologies are going to be key to that. And one of the things that we talked about publicly is the collaboration we have with Moderna, where we're going to be their partner for the fill finish of their pipeline of, you know, future mRNA medicines and vaccines. So we're very excited about the importance of that technology and our role in supporting it.
2: I want to follow up on this golden age. When I met Stefan Bansell he told me you're the CEO of, uh, of Moderna. He told me, look, one day we'll have a personalized, we'll get your gene sequence, we'll have a personalized vaccine for you against cancer. And I never thought it was possible. But when I listened to you, I think that one one day could happen.
1: Yeah, and when I think about some of the roles that we play in it, you know, our products are used in the companion diagnostics for many medicines. We just had one that was approved for, um, you know, getting the right therapy for a type of eye cancer. And Across the spectrum, we've seen a number of announcements where the FDA has been approving our products to be used as a companion by doctors to diagnose the right medicine. So we play an important role in making that a reality.
2: I don't know if most many people know how important you are to China. And I know China was basically shut down because of COVID, but it, it looks like it's waning there. Do you think China will return with the vengeance that it had in terms of wanting
1: thermo Fisher equipment? Yeah, so when I think about China in 2022... Um, we grew in the high single digits. And obviously in the fourth quarter, we saw lots of challenges from the widespread pandemic across the country as they eliminated the zero COVID policy. When I look to 2023, we're very excited about what the growth will be because of the technologies we provide. We help produce biologic medicines for the population. We do some of the academic research in the life sciences uh, for our customers. and, And that means China, just given the investments that they're making in these areas, is a good end market for us. It's our second largest end market after the U.S. It represents about 9% of our revenue and we would expect it to continue to play a role as a rapidly growing market for Thermo Fisher.
2: One last question without revealing clients' names. Is there anything in the in the pipeline that you see people wanting equipment from that is truly dazzling that we will not believe in the next 10 years could occur?
1: Yeah, so what I'm super excited about is around cell therapies and gene therapies that our clients are bringing to market. They make a huge difference for patients. They're expensive often, and the role that we're playing is trying to bring the cost down. We're investing hugely in the research and development, in the scale-up of manufacturing for the innovators so that we can help make it more accessible to more patients, and that can have an amazing impact on society. So we still have a lot of work to do, but it's, it's worthy of the effort, because it will benefit society in such a large way.
2: Well, given how hard it is to get it jug through and how long it takes and how expensive it is, you're making it possible. Well, I want to thank Mark Casper so much. During the period of, of tremendous COVID, he stood next to the president and had the machines that got us through this. And now he's making, back, making money for shareholders, as he always has. Mark Casper, chairman and CEO of Thermo Fisher. Mark, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Chip, for having me. Good to see you man. my own
5: back at the break. Coming up, it's Otis. He loves us. Kramer tracks the ups and downs of a company whose products you've
3: probably used without even knowing it. Next. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you
2: You know us, we're looking for every clue in the state of the economy. Best clues come not from the Fed, as much as I like what Jay said today, but from individual companies, especially the industrials that are well run. Which brings me to Otis Worldwide. That's the world's leading maker of elevators and escalators. You know them. Also a big provider of associated services. That's really great business. This wording Otis reported a solid quarter. This was a modest top and bottom line beat, with strong organic growth that no one expected. Basically an in-line full-year forecast. I think maybe a little better. Even though the stock had already rallied 32% from its lows last fall, remember, this is one of those industrials that I told you was part of the bull market of last fall that keeps going. It tacked on another 2.8% today in response to these numbers, even making a new 52 week high. You want an escalator? Just look at the chart. What makes this impressive is that Wall Street's still pretty bearish on the non-residential construction business, one of the company's core end markets. So can the stock maintain its momentum and can you get aboard? Let's dig deep with Judy Marks, the chair and CEO of Otis Worldwide, who's brought out so much value here. We've got to learn more about the quarter and where it's headed. Ms. Marks,
7: welcome back to Bad Buddy. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here in person.
2: Well, you did it again. And I know that if you just read the papers or listen to what, frankly, the bears who come on TV say, it must be difficult for you to go around the world to see customers, but when you do, You're bringing home the bacon. These are some amazing numbers.
7: Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, You know, our team deserves so much credit. Great top line. We grew 6% in the quarter, 2.5% organic in the year. Um, We gained share, and our orders are just growing wonderfully. We grew 7% for the quarter, and and we're going in. We're going in 4% for the quarter, 7% for the year. We're going into 23 with 11% in our new equipment backlog. But as you know, Jim, this is all about a service story. Right. And our service portfolio grew as strong as we've grown in a decade, up 4%. We now service 2.2 million units all over the globe in a regulated life safety mm-hmm. business. And that's helped us drive shareholder value. We drove 1.45 billion of cash. We gave 1.3 billion back.
4: You
2: bought when it was slow. You bought 300 mil and you completely did again. fabulous. That's the daily thing. But I saw where you bought. It was great. Well, okay, so I know you travel the world. And I always ask you about Asia, I always ask you about America. How much time do you spend in Europe? Because your numbers are staggeringly great in Europe.
7: Yeah, we, we don't see a recession in Europe. I mean, last summer, last spring, we were concerned. Uh, Europe's really strong, double-digit orders growth. But where? Who's buying them? Western Europe is, is buying, like you can't believe, multifamily. Um, small office, commercial. It's you go to every city, you see a crane. It's all like
2: Milan, Paris,
7: that kind of thing. everywhere. You everywhere. See
2: everywhere,
6: even
7: the even the smaller cities. People need a place to live, Jim. And in Europe, especially Western Europe, whether it's Spain, Italy, uh, France, Germany, they're building. But this is even with the war in Ukraine. Yeah, even with the war, Eastern Europe's obviously down. Middle East is booming. 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 Booming.
2: So, those big towers in Dubai that we see, I mean, those are yours.
7: Uh, we're in the Birch. We're right. in the tallest building, and we just uh, we continue to maintain those units since we built it. Uh, But all throughout the Middle East, whether it was Qatar, Saudi, everybody's really growing. And obviously that follows oil prices.
2: Well, I love you have this one slide in your investor meeting. I want to ask you how much better things are even than that, where you show, I mean, you have a building in Korea, you've got a building in London, you've got the the space needle. That was, we saw it was closed. That was you that was fixing it, making it better. And then you have just the random, unbelievable Mideast tower that is you. And I, what I'm trying to figure out is, it, once you put them in, do you make any money when you put them in? Because now the service is where I see the great gross margins.
7: Yeah. So the gross margins are great in service, 12 consecutive quarters of margin expansion, 70 bips of margin expansion this quarter in service, 50 for the year. And that's really what's allowing us to drive the company's margin expansion. New equipment makes money. We, it's not a loser for us. It's, it's single digits but it's going well for us and and everybody thinks about the high rise but the majority of our new equipment is 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 re- residential Non-residential, eight to ten, eight to twelve stories—it's—it's it's every building. Jim, elevators are ubiquitous. Whether it's a school, a hospital, an apartment building, they're everywhere.
2: But when I go to an elevator, like I got to the doctor last week, and suddenly you know I'm looking for the button to see which which, you know, which elevator is, you know that's going to go up or down, and now it just tells me A three. You know, yeah. you press, That's Absolutely. all you, right? You—that's a digitization you done bet. by Otis.
7: You bet. What used to be a, a mechanical safe unit is now beyond electromechanical, it's digital. We call that destination dispatch. Not only does it get you to the floor faster, it allows energy efficiency, and it just moves traffic flow because you don't stop at intermediate floors. You can accelerate rapidly, and you can get where you need to go and move more people in a smaller footprint. And when you do that, tent landlords, are, they're able to use more space because they don't need it for hoistways. Right.
2: It is so interesting when I say that I have Otis on, people say, oh, be very careful because I'll work from home, uh, That they, they're not putting up any office towers anymore. I mean, maybe an infinitesimal amount of business is hurt by work from home for you, given what you just described.
7: Yeah, so in the segment at large, we're talking over 900,000 new units every year globally, and 525,000 of those will be in China this year. So China's recovering. Um, I can't predict first quarter, second quarter, but the government's helping with with you know reducing right, it's debt for the. infrastructure. They going
2: than your, They're going slower than Europe. They're insulted by that.
7: <laughs> infrastructure in China was the only segment that was up last year. The rest of the market was down about fifteen percent, and we we've got a top spot there. And it, really pleased. We actually our orders were up in China in the fourth quarter over fourth quarter. It, with COVID. With, with COVID. COVID, with lockdowns yeah. and with absenteeism.
2: One the I always. Uh, I always say the safety never takes vacation, but there are people who just say, look, if China's in trouble, they can't afford its service. Even the most totalitarian regimes around the world recognize that you have to keep an elevator service, don't
7: they? Yeah, China has mandated service uh, that we have. Better act- than a lot of countries! Mandated service every, every two weeks, every elevator For Every two gets weeks!
2: Well, that's a great annuity stream for Otis, but it didn't matter. I think you would triumph there anyway if you would even to have that great tailwind. Judy Marks is just a moneymaker, plain and simple. And I don't know if you noticed her shirt. It's an eagle shirt. She's from Philly like me. You've probably heard our accents. Chair, President, CEO of Otis. What a stock since so she took it over since, since it came over with you. Mad Money's back in. Coming up.
5: Kramer breaks bread with a company that just grilled up an earnings beat. Brinker International is on the menu next.
2: Every earnings season, I always tell you not to pull the trigger on anything until you heard the whole story, especially the conference call. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. The stocks bounce around with new information. Look at what happened to the stock of Brink International today. That's the parent of Chili's and Maggiano's. That's this, they reported a 25-cent earnings beat off a 51-cent basis, higher than expected revenue, impressive 9.1% same-store sales. In response, of course, the stock correctly jumped 4%. Oh, but then on the call, Wall Street got spooked by some management comments about losing some low-end traffic share at Chili's, forgot about how the high end is spending like mad, and they talked about maybe how labor costs could go higher. As soon as we heard that, well, the stock plunged a couple of bucks. I think it's just profit-taking. The stock had already been up 23% this year. And then, justifying that, in the end, the stock finished <laughs> down to 18 cents after recovering in response to j Powell's positive press conference. That's everyone Daily Today. I'm sure you want to know what's going on here. How could it bounce around like that? Let's take a closer look with Kevin Hockman. He's the president and CEO of Breaker National School Back the Quarter. Mr. Hockman, wow, it's terrific to have you. Welcome to Man Buddy.
4: Well, thanks for having me on. You know, I did want to uh, just do a quick recognition of our teams in the south and central U.S. They're going through some tough ice storms and they're doing a great job at staying safe. And also for the restaurants that are open, taking care of our guests. Well, I, I think that's great that you point that out because I'm sure it's hard to get to work. I'm sure,
2: like probably even during the storms in California, people forget how hard it is just to get to work, and we do kind of take it for granted that the store, that the restaurant's open when it, when we don't, we can't make food at home.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's a you know it's, it's a tough job. Weather like this makes it tougher, and we just want to you know thank and recognize our restaurant teams. Well, what I want to
2: know more than anything else is uh, how you're able to make. Charge ten ninety nine for a dinner that has unlimited chips and sauce, a complete meal, full-size entree, and bottomless drink at a time when the Fed says everything's out of control, labor, food. What,
4: what, you are a, the solution to what the Fed wants. Well, that's one of the reasons why we think we are really well-positioned, you know, should the macros continue to soften, right? Because we've got unbeatable value in the restaurant industry, whether it's casual dining, fast casual, or fast food, what you just said is going to win versus a combo meal in a fast food restaurant. And the way we're able to do that is because we have all kinds of mix in our restaurant, right? So our value menu, it starts at 1099, but two thirds of the items off of that value menu actually move at significantly higher prices than 1099. And so as long as we merchandise it correctly um, and really just focus on advertising and of a restaurant to drive incrementality, to the restaurant, we're going to be absolutely fine from a and standpoint.
2: Well, look, okay, Ben, I think there's a lot of people who don't understand your stock. I was watching your stock very, very closely as it, you were talking, and there was this moment where you said the low-end consumers not as not as prevalent, but right after you said, but the high-end is spending more than it was. Basically, I mean, you use some great terms, but you're talking about that it, that they are willing to. They're considerably considerably above what other people are spending. What is going on? Is this a tale of two cities? It sounds like that there are people who are going and you're getting a really good check.
4: Yeah, you know, I think we have unbeatable value in the market. So even if we took significant pricing last quarter, as well as kind of focused our value menu on fewer, you know, bigger items, the reality is the guests that's still coming to the restaurant, they're still spending, whether it's buying, you know, more items off of the a la carte menu or they're buying bigger bundles, it's very clear to us that there's still a lot of appetite you know, to eat at restaurants. And so we want to make sure that we have offers that they're excited about. So, for example, if you want you know, an amazing burger and fries and chips and salsa and a drink like you talked about for $10.99, you can get that. But if you want to go to our value menu at $15.99 and get steak or shrimp, we're going to have that too. And it's very clear based on the mix of that value offering you know, customers are wanting a little bit more. Well, I,
2: how were you able to do t- a 21% comparable sales from Maggiano's? Which I have Maggiano's around me. I like it. It's in Jersey on Route 10. You've probably been there. And it's like, you know, it's good food.
4: But, I mean, a, a 21% increase over a year ago? Well, here's what's going on. Obviously, we've got the rolls from, from you know, from uh, COVID. But the good news is there is a long-term sustainable off-premise business that's coming into Maggiano's. So Maggiano's historically has been uh, mostly dining. in for that celebration occasion, um, a little bit of catering, right, um, and then banquet sales, right, and then mm-hmm. when COVID hit, all of a sudden off premise went crazy, and if you think about it, Italian food is perfect to be delivered, right? It delivers really well. It's easy to carry, you know. It doesn't spill. The packaging's super easy, and it's a great value. And so what we found was a lot of that business is stuck. You know, our off-premise business this quarter was 82% higher than pre-pandemic, and things are kind of back to normal. So when you see the off-premise stickiness, that's a, that's a really big sign that Magianos has got growth to come. Let me ask you, when I was out at NVIDIA, it's a little far
2: afield, but I'm going there. I was out at NVIDIA, they have this system that kind of you see it with chat, uh, <laughs> this chat GPT that people talk about, but where it's basically, it, it doesn't make any mistakes. It takes the order. Uh, can speak twenty-eight languages, gets it right, and then gives it right to the cook. That's what he believes can happen. Have you ever thought about
4: artificial intelligence in this uh, off-premise business? Yeah, we're actually going to be testing for voice calls. Um, you know, there are certain guests that are that still don't want to interact with a phone. Right. You know, it tends to be a little bit generational, right? So. Uh, we are looking at AI voice ordering, and we're going to actually start with Maggiano's and then hopefully bring it to Chili's. There are other, you know, we're not ahead of the curve on that, unfortunately. There are others that actually have that chain wide now. It is here, you know, the idea that a team member doesn't have to stop what they're doing and answer a phone to take an order, which now feels really antiquated. And we can go replace that with AI technology, and we're going to go do that with the suppliers that know how to do that. Well, will that help you to get... Uh... Uh, to, to get
2: workers, I know that the Jay Powell, the Fed chief, was still saying, look, it's still too hard
4: for many companies to get workers. Is it still the case for you? Well, we've made some really great progress on that. Our managerial turnover is actually better now than it was pre-pandemic. So we're exceptionally wow. proud of that. We've done some really good job of um, simplifying the restaurants. We've added some labor back into the restaurant to improve the labor model. And the managers are saying thank you for that our release, the turnover's gotten better, it's still not where pre-pandemic is, but we believe by continuing to simplify the restaurants, making it easier and more rewarding to work in the restaurants, those turnover trends are going to continue. All of the ideas that we are deploying right now in the restaurants are coming from the restaurant teams themselves. I started eight months ago, I just basically did a cross-country tour and said, if you were the CEO, what would you go change? I took all those ideas, we rank and prioritize them with our leadership team, and now we're getting after it. And we're seeing engagement up, we're seeing turnover down, and we're seeing guest experience up. So well, these are all things that are really important for the future growth of the business.
2: It says to me that management can triumph over concerns that the Fed has if they just get their hands dirty, roll up their sleeves, and meet the real people. I want to thank Kevin. You know, Kevin, I got to tell you, you got to come back because I've wanted Brinker on for years, okay? I want to thank Kevin Hockman who runs Brinker International EAT. And you have a great story, sir. And you also have great restaurants. I love them. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
4: Hey, thanks so much for having us. And uh, Go chilies and go Majianos. Gotcha. All right, bed buddies back after the break.
5: Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire, lightning round. Next.
2: It is time. It's time for the lightning round. For all 107.1, bye bye, and you, bless you. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round, creators of Money. Why don't we start with Shane in North Carolina. Shane! Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. Welcome back, Shane. What's going on?
4: So I'm calling about a company that guided for flat or some contracting earnings in 23. Uh, My ticker is SHW. Are you holding or buying
2: I want to own it. I'll tell you why. Everything that they could possibly say negative about it is out there. I'm going to come out with a more positive Uh, thesis because everybody's so darn negative. Let's go to Jerry in New York. Jerry.
1: Hi, Jim. A big booyah from New York. I I uh, I want to revisit a company with you that you had recommended before, and that is XPO Logistics. And if you can... Uh, recommend XPO's sub- subsidiaries, GXO and RXO. Bye. Well, I'll tell
2: you, the, uh, XPO has run so much, i got to wait for a pullback. I just feel like I'm just afraid that, that you're going to get caught here. So let's wait for it to come down a little. It just had a spike. All the ones that are spiking like that, having there have been, they've been day, moments where you can buy them cheaper. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave!
1: dr kramer my suburban chicago benny's beverage depot bottle signing friend how are you
2: bingo i'm doing good how about you i love bennies man they just took the plus four and they're like wow you know they were responsible they drink was go
1: ahead jim not too long ago you branded this stock as uninvestable due to its questionable Business strategy and capital allocation choices. Recently, however, the stock has been soaring, up more than 50% on the year. So, Jim, risking FOMO, is upstart still uninvestable?
2: Well, upstart, my good friend Dr. Dave, is a short squeeze. There are numbers were just cut again yesterday. Uh, They have a number of bad loans, but the fact is is everyone's kind of figured this out. This is like my new theme. When everybody figured out that something's bad, if it's even just a momentary less bad, it's going to travel. And so right now, this is a coiled spring. Even though it's not doing well, Dave, people are playing all the short squeezes. That's not my style, but I recognize that that's what's happening. We go to now to Chris in New York. Chris. Hey, Jim. Shout out to Ridgewood Queens, my man. So a little while back, you had... (laughs) A little while back, you had
3: this list of the 2021 IPOs that crashed really hard. And this was one of them, but it went way down and you couldn't even talk about it. It's headed back up 100% since November to the 260s now. I'm talking about Lone Depot, LDI, with interest rates a little higher. Maybe we're good?
2: Well, I mean... Loan Depot is kind of more, less risky than some others, but this is another one of those stocks where people just feel like, look, it's, it's just going down so low, uh, it looks up to them. And I think that Loan Depot is, uh, look, I'm a Wells Fargo guy. I mean, I, I'm going to go to Miami tomorrow to speak to these university kids and they, maybe they should do it. It's like a nice spec, you know, spec, you know, luck be a lady tonight or something. But I'd rather own Wells Fargo because it's got staying power, and I won't have to worry. Five years from now, the stagecoach will still be here. Let's go to Mike in Michigan. Mike,
4: booyah, Jim. Hope you're doing well. This is Mike. I'm from having Motor a good City.
2: time because I'm going to Miami. Who wouldn't? How about That's you? Great. That's great. Thank you. I just want to get your input on Lucid. I have a lot
4: of money invested, and I'm not sure what to do right
2: now. Well, Lucid, uh, you know what? Look, it could go up, but I was with Mary Barr yesterday, General Motors. I came home. I told my wife, please. I said, you know what? I got the Chapel Trust. We own Ford. I, I got to be diversified. I can't own both Ford and GM, but Mary Barr was so impressive yesterday. That's a cheap stock. That's an inexpensive stock. And I got to tell you, that stock is going higher. And I feel conviction. Okay, let's go uh, to Chris in New York. Chris. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am doing well. How about you?
1: Excellent, excellent. I'd like your thoughts on Charles River's lab. Seems to have the stock is undervalued. It's
2: been just, mo- you know, it's just kind of like step by step, inch by inch, slowly Niagara Falls. But I think that it's coming back. And I felt that way after I uh, listened to Thermo Fisher, because that is all in the same complex. Drug testing. This one's been left behind because people were all focused on COVID. We're moving on. Let's go to Peter in New York. Peter. Jimmy, chill. How are you, sir? Chill, man. is just chilling. What's going on?
1: Oh, I'm loving it, Jim. Put your speaker. Uh, hey, thank you for the 25 years and the 24-hour day service you're doing for us. I was with my well, mother, who's you. 104 years old and a half today. Elizabeth, Bless her. Irish immigrant. She predicts the Eagles 21-6 to, uh, to the Chiefs, or she said, wow,
2: or your mom may have horse sense. She has lost
4: four. I has think she'd be sense. wrong.
2: And she also she also
1: loves the fact that you help folks make money as you do help me. Thank you.
2: Well, I sure try. How can I help you tonight?
1: Well, you know, you've been up and down, and, and you've been actually up, not really down with SoFi. So Yeah, well look, I, I told Nodo
2: the other day. He said, CEO, you know, I said that was a good quarter. You want to come on the show, but you know what? I was too late. It wasn't a good quarter. It's going higher. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the
3: Lightning Round!
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what lesson did Lisa Sue remind Kramer of last night? It's one you'll want to hear next.
2: Uh, How about a parable about business? Last night, Dr. Lisa Sue, the redoubtable CEO of Advanced Micro Devices, said she sees demand for chips getting stronger in the second half of the year and the stock soared today. It was up more than 12%, no, the biggest in the market today. I'm seeing a lot of people who don't buy this story. They think it's pure hype. They're probably trying to short the stock at the end of the day. They're dead wrong. See, so here's what happened AMD's clients ordered too many chips last year, but over time, those inventories get used up and the businesses start to reorder. It's what happens with any kind of merchandise unless the products are outmoded. Now, AMD's customers have worked through all the chips they have, so now they need to order more. We call this an inventory correction, but it's really a classic readjustment. When you have too many components, you stop buying them. When you run out, you order more. Seems very simple, right? I find that too often people don't understand this stuff. So you need to understand that Sue's not just going smoke here. She's a straight shooter. We believed in her in the past when she said that things were bad and getting worse, but could ultimately get better. You know what? I argue she has more credibility, especially after today's run, than anybody else in the semiconductor industry. or actually in a lot of businesses, including, by the way, a large competitor of hers, which is donating huge share to her in spades. How did things go so wrong initially, because remember AMD fell big, and then go so right for the chip makers? but especially AMD. In America, it's almost always the same thing. Companies plot along, ordering, selling, and then one day they see a red-hot market coming. Their customers are going crazy for product. In this case, it was work-from-home COVID. But they can't build the product fast enough because there aren't enough components to go around. I'm not only talking about chips here. When people were stuck at home, thanks to COVID, many companies were caught off guard. Home Despot, the Lowe's. They didn't want to turn shoppers away or lose in the competition. So what did they do? They did what a lot of the customers of Lisa Sus did. They double ordered. Let me give you a classic example. Decking, okay, because everybody understands decking. When people were buying decking like crazy to remodel, the companies that sold the stuff ordered, for, well, they ordered far more decking than they could use under the assumption that the customers would keep coming. Given that we had ultra-low interest rates and everybody was stuck at home, why not double order to the makers of decking? But once the pandemic cooled, the decking just kept coming and coming and coming, and the stores got caught with the gigantic glut of product. Next thing you know, orders to the decking companies dry up. They have shortfalls as destocking occurs. Home Depot doesn't need to order more than they already have, and the decking company's stocks get blasted to kingdom come. Of course, the whole COVID arc was a hyped-up version of a tour and business cycle. Once the orders stop, the suppliers get wise. They cut back on production, maybe take a hit on inventory, sell where they can, and wait for better times. Eventually, the retailers work off the excess merchandise. People still want to renovate their homes, so the sales bounce back. You say the same thing about pretty much everyone's hot aisle in a Home Depot and about every company that made personal computers or servers or gaming equipment or even cloud computing data. They ordered too much from Lisa Sue. She met the demands. Demand then fell, and everything got glutted, and now she's working off the inventory. With AMD, we even heard today the data centers have too much inventory. That's the cycle. It's a cycle I know way too much about because when I was a kid, I saw it happen repeatedly in my father's business. He was a boxing gift wrap middleman. Whenever he'd underestimate the demand for gift wrap, there'd be some moment, some great time where customers were literally knocking down the door to get their hands on wrapping paper. My father would beg the gift wrap mills for more gift wrap rolls. Then big trucks would come in filled with gigantic round piles of the stuff. I was always mad at the truck drivers because they wouldn't help pop move the stuff off the truck. They said it wasn't their job. Back then, I didn't understand the cycle. I didn't understand the inventory. And I sure didn't understand why pop would get so angry when this truck kept coming. I thought he was mad at the truckers for not helping him. But that wasn't it. He was mad that he'd ordered too much gift wrap. Now they would have to sell for cents on the dollar because of the double ordering phenomena. Eventually, stores would run out of gift wrap for Father's Day or Mother's Day or Valentine's Day or whatever holidays because there always is need for gift wrap. The cycle would start again, but sometimes we'd have to wait a whole year to move that merchandise. It was brutal. And that's where we are now with so many products. The inventory is all finally used up. New cycle's beginning, and it's really helping, especially semiconductors. I always tried to cheer my dad up and exercise the futility. I didn't understand what a cycle was. I didn't even understand what inventory was. However, I found out the hard way what happens when you order too much. It didn't mean we had to live off a of tank, But let's just say we swapped out the butter for imperial margarine and we were drinking Welch's grape juice with a water topper. Much better to learn it the easy way, the way I just taught you. Like I said, as always, the bull market summer. I
3: promise you I'll find it just for you. Here at Monday, I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.